Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. We are going to talk about money today, hot topic, and I've got a... um, I've got a quiz question for everybody, and from this one question, I'm going to try and extrapolate um, an unfair amount of data. Are you guys willing to participate in that? Cool. All right. The question is, what emotions does the word budget evoke in you? I've got four options for you. I'm going to read out the four options, and I'd like um, a show of hands if you don't mind. All right. Number one. Yuck, don't use that four-letter word around me. (laughs) B, yay, budgeting equals savings. C, yelp, I feel anxious already. And D, yahoo, time to count my dollar bills. (laughs) Who's a yuck here today? Wow, not many people. Cool, who's a, um, a yay? Ah, a few spreadsheet, spreadsheeted friends. Who's a Yelp? I feel anxious already. <laughs> a few friends of mine put their hand up. Good to hear. Post reading the book as well. Um, not really selling it, am I? But it is a for-purpose venture. Um, and any Yahoos, it's all right to admit, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Joshy up the front. All right. Um, broadly speaking, sorry, I, I'm a Windows guy, and um, apparently you guys are an Apple church, so um, there's a little bit lost in translation. Um, but um, there are broadly four money personalities that you guys have just identified with. Um, the spender, they're the people that say, yuck, they don't like to be limited. The saver, they're the people who love spreadsheets and counting um, most dollars. Um, The Yelps, they're usually the money avoiders. They prefer to stick their head in the sand because that makes them anxious. And the Yahoo, that's often the success measure. So sometimes if you're in business in another way, you use money as a form um, of a success measure. Now, that's um, your money personality, um, highly... Uh, categorized and oversimplified. Um, but here's sort of what we're in a church and um, the purpose of um, chatting with you guys today is to think about this question, which is a little bit different. What is the money personality of a follower of Jesus? Everybody in this room has their own money personality from your upbringing, from the culture, all those kind of things. Um, but what is the money personality of a follower of Jesus? Or Um, What are the money habits of a modern um, disciple? Um, Now, Jesus talked a lot about money, um, probably more than we do. And um, once he was uh, chatting, there was a rich young guy, successful young guy, and he came and he said, hey, Jesus, what have I got to do to get into the kingdom? And Jesus sort of went back to him and said, oh, just sell your stuff and come follow me. Um, and uh, I don't know if you guys know the story, but Scripture tells us that he walked away sad. Um, And then Jesus said this about money. 
He said, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a pretty jarring statement, um, but probably not for many of you in the room, or maybe maybe three or four of you here identify as rich. So this is talking about somebody else, obviously. See if Jesus um, backs away for that statement. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, I put that uh, quote in my book, and I've spoken to a lot of people about it, and um, I sort of use this example of how, um, you know, that guy back then, he was wealthy relative to the people around him, but he had camels, and I have a car. Um, uh, I have a phone. I have a lot of stuff that he didn't have. Um, I have a longer life expectancy than him. Um, and then I think about, so historically, I thought, oh, well, I'm probably richer than him. And then I thought, well, globally as well, um, you know, if you make median income in middle kind of money in Australia, you're in the top 5% of global income earners. Um, but as I thought about that, I thought, you know, most of us kind of know those statistics um, already. And um, they don't really change, I think, our behaviour that much. Um, and so what I'm going to try and uh, go through with you guys today um, is not um, to um, guilt trip you about money. Um, it's not, not the purpose. Not that I'm above that. I just don't think it's that effective. Um, I, um, I'm just going to try and uh, dig, dig into four money personalities um, or four scripts that you might have got from your culture and my culture about money um, and then maybe having a look at how we might be able to flip them. So the four scripts are, number one, you're a consumer, not a disciple. You're a consumer, not a disciple. Number two is... You're a saver, not a disciple. Number three is you're a citizen or a tourist, not a disciple. And number four is you're an investor or a speculator, not a disciple. We probably won't have enough time to cover all four, um, but we'll give it a go. The first one, you're a consumer, not a disciple. Okay, when you came to church this afternoon, where did you sit? Um, I don't know about you, but for me, I sit, uh, when I go to the church, the same area that I always sit. I could sit anywhere in the room, but I usually pick the same area week after week. We are creatures of habit. And when I was 13, I learned a habit about spending money. Um, and I learned it from my year eight camp. And on my year eight camp, I wasn't from a very high-income family, um, and I used to wear clothes that I bought in Kmart. Um, and this was before kind of Kmart was trendy. They came out with an Anko brand or whatever. It's kind of like pre that. Um, this is pre-trendy. Um, and some People that I was on camp with made fun of me because of my Kmart clothing. 
And so something set aside in me that I was going to buy some branded clothing and I wasn't going to get made fun of anymore. And so I triggered in me this little 13-year-old Joel, this little habit loop that I've got up here. I've got this from Atomic Habits, which is a great book. Um, And it triggered in me that because when I felt something like insecure in myself, um, it triggered a routine, a craving that I would be not insecure, that I would avoid that feeling. And then the response, that was my action, would, would be to buy something that I thought people would not make fun of me for. And then I would get a reward, would be the feeling of being included. Um, and that habit loop uh, happened in thir- my 13-year-old brain, but it happens, I bet, in all of your brains every day. Even if you have an app you can think of on your phone, I bet there's a habit loop that looks like that that gets you using it. Maybe it's when you're bored, you pull it out and then you scroll or you swipe or whatever you do and you feel a release from that um, and then you get a reward, you get a, um, a payback. And it teaches your brain to, um, to do certain things. And our consumer culture is built around these habit loops and they're genius. They get 13-year-old people like me to be there and I paid for it with my paper run money. I used to deliver papers. They got me to part with my hard-earned to be their free brand ambassadors. And I would proudly wear um, a different uh, brand around. And um, that's amazing that corporations can get us to do that. They can also get you, I bet if there's an app on your phone, I bet they can amazingly get you to volunteer with them to be a content creator. I bet you create free content on some people's platform um, uh, just for them. How is it that in our culture that we are so incredibly wealthy by objective standards, yet we don't feel rich, do we? That is not our lived experience. That is not our emotional journey with money is not one of abundance and wealth. We feel lacking. We feel that we don't have it. How do they do it? Well, they use these um, techniques. They show us stuff we don't have. They pay our leaders. They associate brands with social status. They plan obsolescence in our devices and our fridges and our cars, they get us, allow us to get into debt, they collect our data, they invite envy through um, platforms that lets us see what our friends are doing, they make habit-forming products. They do a bunch of stuff that gets us hooked on spending. And it's more than actual individual spending, it's got to our culture level. It's got to our cultural level to the extent 
that the leading economist in the 1930s, John Maynard Keynes, he made a prediction. He predicted that in two generations that we would only be working 15 hours a week with all of the technology we have. He thought we'd be working 15 hours a week. Now, is there anyone here that is working 15 hours a week? There's probably a few of you, but you're too um, nice to put your hands up. Um, He could not predict that we would spend all of our excess, all of our surplus, all of our wealth on little incremental consumer experiences and that we would bid up our property prices and our asset prices so much that it still takes two working people an entire lifetime just to put a roof over their heads. And so the consumer narrative is pretty strong in us. What would you do? What have I talked about? How do we flip it? What can we do? Um, I think the first thing we can Did I say something? No. Uh, The first thing we can do to flip the script on our consumer narrative that's been internalised in our minds is connect simple living with others simply living. When I was 22 years old, I um, went over and lived in China for a year to do, uh, teach some English and also to do some community development. Um, can't, not allowed to say publicly what that was. Um, but I met a girl in my class um, whose mum had cancer. And uh, at the time, the Chinese... Um, healthcare system, didn't provide free access to healthcare. And uh, this student didn't have the money to pay uh, for her mum's cancer treatment. And so she heard that I was a Christian or the teacher in the class heard, um, um, somebody else in in the class heard that I was a Christian and uh, from Australia. And they came and asked me and said, hey, um, maybe there's an NGO that could help this person. Uh, And I said, well, I don't know any NGOs, but I have a local church um, and I can ask them. And so we rallied together and we paid for a round of chemo. And then a couple of months later, um, same thing, another round of chemo, not enough money. And so I said, hey, back home to my church, we sold some bicycles and did fundraising and that kind of stuff and uh, paid for another round of chemo. And in the, th- the third time it happened, a bit of fatigue set in and uh, I sort of spoke to my church, spoke to people in my group there and people were sort of feeling, oh, you know, not again. Um, <laughs> how long is this going to last? And, um, and it hit me for the first time, it never had before, that This was a person's life. And what was I going to spend my money on that was going to be more valuable than that? Um, And for the first time in my life, it connected simple living with others 
simply living. And I reckon for us to have a fighting chance, um, we've got to do that. We've got to connect those two. The second one. Disconnect what you earn and what you spend. Here's a little diagram to explain that. Um, Everybody at church talks about stewardship and the idea is God's kind of the owner of all our land and resources and everything we've got, our time, talents and money, and we kind of get to use them uh, as trustees for it. Um, This way of disconnecting is to say, hey, um, I'm going to set a limit on um, how consumeristic I'm going to be in my spending. Um, And I'm going to say the rest comes from God and is going to go back to God. Um, And um, I usually do an exercise. People um, get attached to money. I get attached to money. I do a little exercise sometimes where I put a $10 envelope with a $10 note in Um, under the pew and people get it out and then they open the envelope and I ask them, uh, how easy would that be for you to give away? And they usually say, oh, easy, (laughs) not attached to it, just came in, it's easy to go out. Um, But it's harder when we earn our money. Um, But, um, you know, um, I was blessed in my experience in China that... um, they all knew and they all told me that I made easy money. They said, you're from Australia, Joel. You make easy money. We make hard money over here. Um, we, make, um, we make sitting in a shop for 14 hours a day, seven days a week, hard money. You make minimum wage in Australia. You do, you do better than us. And that idea kind of got through to me. I said, even though I was pretty hard working myself, I thought, yeah, I've kind of worked hard for what I've got. But you know what? If God made me born in sub-Saharan Africa <laughs> or 500 years ago in a village in Tibet, I wouldn't be saying that I earn, I deserve everything that I've got. Um, there's grace in it. And we've been given grace Two, the third one, appoint a spiritual accountant and do it in community. The only people I reckon that have a fighting chance of pushing back on consumerism is those that do it in a small group. Um, It's pretty hard, but the church is probably the only place where people have both a purpose and a platform um, to change our money habits. All right, let's go on to the next one. I'm not going to go on. Jesus said, life is not in the abundance of possessions. He was right. Now, some of you, many of you put your hands up and you said, you're not really a spender, you're a saver. And I've got a little trick to... uh, to test, if you're not sure if you're a saver, I've got a little t- a trick to test. If it's a, on a Saturday morning, you've got nothing going on and you pull out your phone and you open what app? You open your banking app. <laughs> you open your banking app and you check your balance, not because you think you're buying anything, just because it gives you a... Uh, it feels good. <laughs> That security, that sense of progress, that accomplishment, all that good thing. If you do that, 
you're a you're a saver and you're not a um, you're not a spender. You got a different set of challenges when it comes to money. You see, the spender um, when it spenders we're we're attached to the lifestyle, the things that money could buy. Um, uh, we're, ex- we're attached to the experiences, the new products. However, a saver, you don't care that much about that. <laughs> you can go without. You can shop at Kmart. Um, but you love the security that um, your bank balance gives you. And so it's a different set of challenges to giving when it comes when you're a, um, a spender rather than a saver because you're giving up a different thing. All right. Why is this important? Um, Jesus said this cool thing about money that um, has lots of meanings, um, has lots of spiritual meanings, I think, but it's got this really practical one. This is it. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, that could mean a lot of things, but here's the thing I usually tell people. You tell me where your treasure is. You tell me where your wealth is sitting in five years' time, in ten years' time, and I'll tell you where your heart is. You see, I think this statement from Jesus is descriptive, as in it describes us, but it is also prescriptive. It prescribes what will happen to us depending on where we accumulate our wealth. I found that really helpful for my heart um, as I've thought about giving. So, antidotes to flip the script. Um, The first thing is um, when you give, um, understand that if you're a spender, it's going to feel really intangible, right? When you go buy something new, there's a whole dopamine rush associated with it. First there was the search, you looked for it, and then there was the... um, And then there was the unboxing and the first time you use it. And then it was showing to your friends. And all along that uh, time, if we mapped it, you had all these spikes of dopamine all through it. Now let's compare that to your typical giving experience, right? What happens in the church I grew up in, they used to hand around a little bag. Nobody knew what anybody else put in. And you had an envelope and you put it inside. Not quite the dopamine rush that you get Um, compared. And the thing is, corporations, they lock us into a cycle of spending, right? It's never about one thing. You know, these shoes are made cheap because they're going to break in not that long. They're going to be too hard to fix. And I'm going to have to come back and buy some more um, Onyxuka Tigers. Let's go barefoot. (laughs) Preach, brother. (laughs) Um... But if you lock in a giving loop, if you try and make it easy for yourself, if you've never given before, understand that um, there are certain type of giving that's easy to cut and there's others that's not. And the things that aren't easy to cut is where there's somebody with a name and a face on the end of that thing that you're giving to. 
something like a compassion child or your local church where you know that I pay for one day a week or one day a fortnight or one day a month for that person to bring the love of Jesus to others. Where you, where you can put a name and a face on it and there's a recurring loop. That's hard to cut. It's easy to cut a one-time giving. So if you're trying to um, mould your heart, um, trying to change your heart and acknowledge um, that often our hearts go in the wrong places, that's two tips that you can do. Um, get, get something with a feedback loop and know the person by name to which you are giving to. That doesn't mean you um, have to know them, but you can try and internalise it. I went and uh, I watched The Sound of Freedom um, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, has anybody seen that Maybe. Yeah, a couple of people. Um, it's pretty uh, uh, gripping. It's pretty harrowing to see um, some of the stories in there. After I watched that movie, I couldn't help but contact organisations that were fighting human trafficking. And on one of those websites, they very wisely put something that grabbed my attention. And they put, give this much per month to rescue a child from human trafficking. And I thought it was like this amount, this amount, or give this amount per month. And that it totally changed the dynamic in my heart. I was like, I want to specifically, I want to change my heart. I want to orientate around a number. I want to be part of freeing this many kids from slavery every in, in, in this instance every month. And that shaped how much I give. So I just encourage you, if you're thinking about giving, there's a couple of things that um, make it easy for yourself and there's others that will make it hard. Uh, when you know um, a name and a place, you're specific with a number, that really helps. And then start tracking your progress. Um, it's kind of cool in Australia that um, the government mandates for, it used to be nine and a half, went to 10, 10 and a half, 11 and a half. Basically 10% of our, of our earnings go into our superannuation. And I think it's a blessing for those people who choose to first 10% give. Um, it's not to be legalistic about that, but those that choose to do, you can look at your super balance and you can know that that is your investment in the kingdom of God financially every time you do it. You can track your process um, and you can use that new feeling to that advantage. I have a little account set aside for blessing people. I call it kingdom ventures uh, or kingdom investments and um, somebody I know, my cousin, um, has one as well. And uh, he called me up one day, he says, cuz, um, this friend of mine in Melbourne uh, is out of work, they've been struggling to pay the rent, they asked for prayer. And he said, but I was thinking about lending them some money to pay for it. I said, how about you give them a month's rent? And, um, you know, grown men cried because of that interaction. And um, grown men that don't usually cry, cried <laughs> after that interaction. Um, and that's the power of setting aside um, money to give spontaneously um, as well. Okay. Um, too hard? Some of you are thinking, I know. I've got a really simple hack that I can, you can cut through all of those um, steps. My simple hack is start a separate account 
put a different name. I call it God's economy, um, but I'm a former finance guy, so don't you know, learn from me in some areas. Um, kingdom investing, whatever floats your boat, serving. I got a separate account that I just name um, and I recurring transfer into that account every every paycheck. And it helps me because I know um, I know if that ten dollars that I picked up under the from the envelope that was given to me for free, I know if I put that in my wallet for a week, for a month, for a year, I get attached to it. Becomes mine and it becomes really hard to give. Um, and so I help myself through by doing that. All right. I got five minutes and 18 seconds left. So let's talk about housing. What was the most famous line in the 1997 cult classic, The Castle? Am I showing my age here? Tell him he's dreaming. All right, second to that. House of Serenity, third to that. <laughs> All good answers. Straight to the war room. Fourth. Come on. A man's home is his castle. Right? The fourth most important, fourth most famous quote. A man's home is his castle. And isn't it indeed in our nation? Hasn't, hasn't the Australian dream become the Australian nightmare? <laughs> Sorry, I um, said that to Alex while we were having lunch. He said, are you going to use that? I said, yes. <laughs> um, you know, you don't, have to be a, you don't have to be coming to church on a Sunday at four um, to know that there's an idolatry issue with housing in Australia and it's got a massive debt hangover. Um, we are, we got so much land <laughs> um, but it's so expensive now and um, we got the second highest household debt rates in the entire world. Um, it's pretty crazy. Um, And from my experience, it sucks the life, it sucks the spiritual life out of a lot of people um, because they can't afford to put a, um, a roof over their head. And sitting here today in this room, simultaneously, we have both victims and beneficiaries of Australia's love affair with home ownership. Um, some victims are people that feel boxed out of the market and can't put a roof over their head and other people who have benefit, had benefited from it. And so I've got two sets of antidotes. Um, that's, not, um, that's not a condemnation for anyone. Whoever, whoever's benefited from it probably didn't create the policies and the things that um, uh, resulted in it. That's okay. Um, so I got a couple of different antidotes to flip the switch um, about this idea of citizenship and home ownership. The personal finance, um, personal finance literature loves 
talking about home ownership. And I agree um, with parts of it. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it usually over time makes sense to own rather than rent in the long term. That's really any asset. It's a chainsaw, it's a trailer, it's a whatever. Um, but there's a difference in heart approach. And in this one, I'm borrowing from your, um, your series here. It's this idea of ownership, that it's ours, that it belongs to us. Scott Pape, or Dave Ramsey talks about the, gr- the grass under your feet will feel different. Scott Pape, Barefoot Investor, great book, um, <laughs> talks about this ritual of going to the bank and getting your title deed back, not mailing it and making a whole experience out of it. I just, I don't, you know, (laughs) when I read the scriptures, here's what I get. I get, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And I had to throw one in from First Peter, because I hear you doing a series, I'm like, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents. I just find that so freeing to me that I'm never going to be a homeowner in that sense, that my, my house will never be my own. I am a temporary resident in this land. This is God's land. This is God's land, every square centimetre of it. And I'm never going to own it. Um, number two, your banker is not your friend. Now, I realise there's probably in Brisbane some bankers in the room. They could be your friend. Um, but here's the point. Um, banks are not set up for your spiritual discipleship. They're not going to lead you on a path to live more like Jesus. They're going to load you up with as much debt as they possibly can and they're going to monetize it over the course of your life. They're incentivized, the system is incentivized to keep you on a consumer treadmill the rest of your life. Um, And so this is just a word before you enter the housing market to think about, um, speak to your pastor (laughs) Um, first. Um, Remember Ralph, I don't have to, um, I don't have time to, well, I met a guy uh, who was a I met a guy who was a part-time pastor. Sorry, I'm in red zone here. <laughs> yeah, but when it's red, it's easy just to take a bath and um, go for it. Um, I met a guy who was a part-time pastor. He was, a, he was an IP lawyer in Perth, and I went to his house, and it was just so humble that I immediately knew that this bloke's wealth was in something else. And, um, and it's fine to have nice houses and all that stuff, but I just remembered this guy because I could just tell that he was building up treasure in heaven um, and his treasure wasn't there in his home. All right. I won't put move if you have to. All right. Um, I'm going to skip that. Uh, you have to Q&A me and investing personalities, they're gone. Um, <laughs> Uh, let me close with it. I think it says here, do a some kind of a spiritual talk to finish off. Um, I said to Josh 
earlier, um, come up whenever you feel led. Um, <laughs> so he feels led. But I do have um, something to share. Um, but please, um, let's get some music going for the mood and all that. <laughs> um, I mentioned earlier the story of the rich young ruler. <laughs> um, you might remember that bloke in the story. Um, interestingly, it says the story of the rich young ruler, uh, but there was kind of two rich young rulers in that interaction, wasn't there? There was the bloke who walked away sad, and there was this other bloke who, um, well, he gave up. <laughs> he gave up a sick house, car, holidays in heaven. <laughs> He gave up the good life in heaven to come down to 0 BC um, Middle Eastern squalor um, to live his life amongst us. Um, he lived simply so that we can simply give. He gave habitually. He invested intentionally and impactfully. Um, in our lives. And we can't do any of this if we don't get his supernatural power. We don't get something special from him. Um, there's nothing that we can do without that spark. So, um, foxes have, sparrows have home, fo sp sparrows have nests, foxes have home, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. I don't know what your vision is for yourself with money, um, but, but I, bet it's, I bet it's better than what corporate Australia has mapped out for how you're going to spend your life. And maybe you don't know exactly what Jesus' plan and vision is for your life, but I bet it's better than um, I bet it's better than what corporate Australia and what the money system has. So let me pray for you and for me um, that we might be able to live into that. Lord God, I don't know. Um, I don't know the circumstances of the different people sitting here in this room. There are people for which uh, making ends meet is really hard and there are people for which it's not and there's probably a lot of people in between. Um, we can't do this thing without you. We're insecure humans. We got mixed emotions. We have mixed motives um, but take us as we are um, and would you do something with us would you lead us on that narrow path that leads to life thank you that um, we don't do it alone we don't do it without a supernatural power but we also don't do it without a community of people um, that can change the dynamic around money in our lives so just Help us find and walk on that path, I pray. And thanks for listening to us. In your name I pray.
Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can contact us at church.nu or through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.